3: on DAB, online, on the app and on your smart speaker. Following on, Ash's inquest on TalkSport. What
1: a performance. Good evening and welcome to the show. I'm John Norman. With me for the next hour on Talk Sport is Steve Harmison. With us both basking in the post match winning glow that has come from England's three wicket win over Australia here at Headingley. It was, as you'd imagine, really stressful, intense, and brilliant. And it was totally in keeping with what has up to now uh, been the standout Ashes series of the last 15 years. England started the day needing 224 runs to win, they had 10 wickets in hand but it was never going to be easy was it? And so it proved.
2: Oh he's got him, he has got him, just as he was starting to look settled. Pat Cummins is the man.
1: At lunch England 153 for four, both sides would have had mixed feelings, one fewer wicket and England would have felt that they were on top, one more and it would have been Australia's game and it was Australia who roared back into the contest shortly after the break. Chopped on! Start gets Stokes the over before! He gets Bairstow. England were still 90 short. It felt more like 900. They needed a calm head and some good batting. And they got both. From Harry Brook, playing like a veteran, and Chris Wokes, who is one. The two started slowly, but surely the runs started being ticked away. Bowlers were seen off before you knew it. The winning line... 21 runs away, and even the wicket of Brook for 75, a fifth on the day for the brilliant Mitchell Stark, wasn't enough for Australia, who gambled right to the end. Wood, hooking a short delivery for Cummins for six. Fittingly, it was then Chris Wokes who hit the winning runs. Smashed through the outside.
3: Chris Wokes nails it for four. And two of the
1: lads that England brought into the side. Wood and Wokes. And so, here we find ourselves with the series still alive, new chapters in the careers of Wokeswood and Ali having been written, and we will go to Manchester, with England still in the hunt after more headingly heroics. You're listening to Following On, Ash's Inquest on TalkSport. Well, big thanks to Sky Sports Cricket for those highlight clips. Uh, You know, Harmy at the start of play, Stuart Broad said England, we're going to approach this as a 50-over run chase. And that's how many overs it took. Can you believe that? Um, homie, I've not seen too many ODIs that can hold a candle to what we saw today at Headingley. But uh, tell us now, you must have been wiping away the tears as Mark Wood walked off with Chris Wokes and then stepped up to get the Player of Award match. It's been an incredible match and uh, it was just fantastic to see.
3: It was, it was brilliant to see and to see, you know, two guys go off at the end there. Uh, and, you know, John, sometimes good guys don't always get what they deserve um, in, in life because they are good guys and they, they sort of get let down. They get pushed to one side, they get dropped, they get left out because of, you know, they think as though there's, you know, reinventing the wheel and other selections come and when they perform, it's brilliant to see. And it's so heartwarming. And that was Chris Wokes and Mark Wood walking off at the end because you'll not meet two nicer guys. You'll not meet two more popular blokes in the dressing room than, than Chris and, and Mark. And to see them at the end there, you know, of the three changes that came during this test match, they all performed, which is you know, brilliant from you know Stokes and McCullum's point of view. But I think Wokes is batting. I you know, just chose and displayed that, yes, we talked about his bowling when he's away from home and can you play you know, the Broad-Anderson-Wokes combination, which has been labelled many, many times. His batting is, sometimes gets um, sometimes gets left behind when it comes to the conversation about how good this guy is. You know, he lives in Ben Stokes' shadow as a all-rounder because I think he is a genuine all-rounder. And unfortunately, he's 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 bowling. He's lived in the world of two of the greatest performers that England have ever had in Broad and Anderson. So, it's been an unbelievable Test match, and what a week it's been for for Leeds and for Headingley. Some dark times over over at Leeds and Yorkshire County Cricket Club over the course of the last eighteen months. But this four days have really showcased what a brilliant venue Headingley is, um, and it's just a shame that it's not going to be till eight years time before we come back again.
1: How nervous did you get? At what at what point, when you were watching, did you think this is Australia's game here? Was when it when Besto was dismissed? That was the moment, wasn't it?
3: Besto got out. That was the moment for me. I'm thinking that's it. Four 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 ninety mile an hour yorkers from over around the wicket. Mitchell Stark. Game over. That's it. I I didn't I didn't. I'm not saying I didn't have any hope that England were going to win, but at one six at one seventy one for six when Besto walked off, I'm thinking do you know what that's it that's that's england's race run that's three nil potentially going down to five nil because everything in this series has gone england's way. um but you know fair player chris wokes he was absolutely brilliant and when mark would hit that six that was the mo- that was when i could come from behind the sofa and start <laughs> enjoying the next sort of four or five runs and thinking we got a chance of winning three two here it's fantastic
1: Let's hear from Ben Stokes. He's just been speaking to the press. He says uh, the win, hugely significant psychologically ahead of uh, the rest of the series.
0: I think if you look at the, the first two games in terms of how tight they were, getting over the line in another tight game can sort of, I don't know, mentally sort of help knowing that, oh, you know, another close game, but we've got over the line on this one because the first two didn't go our way. So you sort of, you know, you'd flip it round and we, and we didn't win this one, but it was tight again. You're sort of like, it's just not meant to be. But yeah, like, obviously we over the moon that we've won this one. But um, it's just the start of what we know we need to do.
1: Let's hear from uh, the Australia captain as well, Pat Cummins, uh, who was asked if there was anything he could have done differently with his tactics.
0: I'll have another look at it and, and see if uh, there's anything we might do differently. Um, still felt like the ball was, there was a little bit in there. Um, so kind of happy to give away a single, but still felt like, You know, we left our catches in two or three slips where you felt like you are going to take your wickets anyway. So, I think overall, not bad. Um, Yeah, you might look at a few different ways to go about it, but, you know, felt like we made some decent decisions out there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought that Australia bowled terrifically well today. Um, And if they do have some regrets... It's always a bit strange, isn't it? You kind of blame fielders for dropping catches. You almost kind of suggest they do it on purpose. Um, and England, of course, dropped all those catches on day one, didn't they? But, you know, Mitchell Marsh was uh, earmarked in the press conference uh, by Ben Stokes as just having a, a, t- a terrific uh, innings, and so, it w- and so it was. But it was that first innings, wasn't it? There's so many moments in the test. You can't just arrow in on one. But Australia losing their last six wickets for for 23... And it was that—that was the the turning point. I know that they they threw away a couple as well when Ali was bowling in second innings. But it was that, wasn't it? It just showed what we've all been going on about for so long—the importance of having pace in the attack.
3: That's 100%. It—that's end of conversation. Pace in the attack. You know, we've gone from we've gone from two sort of very placid pitches to one that had a little bit of pace on. And you, this is what Ben Stokes said right at the very start. You wanted some good wickets with a little bit of Pierce and a little bit of carry. Um, and that's fine, Ben having all them, but you've got to have somebody to utilize it. And it's a different contest when you've got a quick bowler in your team. And that for me was the difference on both sides. I remember being asked about the first test match, uh, you know, sorry, the second test match and said, Oh, it's been a great series. I says, it's going to get better because Mitchell Stark's going to come back in. I think that was after, you know, for the, before the second test match. I says, Both teams are going to have a huge injection of pace. Stark's got to come back in, and Wood's going to play eventually. And once you have bowlers of that sort of velocity and that pace through the air, it does wonderful things to batters. And, you know, I look at Manus Labashin. Manus Labashin didn't bat badly. Honestly, he didn't bat badly. But on that first morning... For 18 balls, Mark Wood had him down at his end. He made him look like me as a number 11 and that's me not having to go at Marnus or anything. Marnus Labershin's number two ranked batter in the world. I mean, he had him hopping about. He, he was he, he hadn't even moved before one of the bouncers had gone over his head. So, bowling at the other end for that, especially in the way sort of Stark did as well, the Pierce, his head through the end, impact it had on Cummins as bowling. It's just, it's immense when you've got Pierce in the, in the game and what it does is it finishes off tails because all of a sudden, number eight, number nine, number 10, number 11 on a placid pitch think they can bat. You put somebody in there with 90 mile an hour and you realize why they're batting it, 8, 9, 10, 11. And I think that has been the difference in this contest. You look at highest score in the game, 263, wasn't it? So in, in reality, it's a pretty low scoring game. But boy, was it exciting because we had pace in it.
1: And what about Harry Brook, eh? He's playing just his 10th test match. He made his debut at the end of last summer. He was only in the side because of an injury to Bairstow, and it was him. It was he who really saw England at just about home. He went past 1,000 test runs in this match. He averages over 60. He's hit 550s and 400s in test, 10 test matches. But, you know, he, he looked so assured at the crease. There was a couple of ugly shots, uh, maybe two or three ugly shots, but in the main... You know that's 75. It's probably his best innings, isn't it? When when you consider he has hit 400s and some biggins as well. Just the amount of pressure that would have been on him throughout today, and it didn't really show.
3: No, it was a pressure situation. I agree. It probably is his best innings. I was so pleased for him. I was, you know, to see him go to number three, take responsibility. It didn't work, and it was right to to, to sort of have him back at number five. He took so much stick at Lords. Saying that he can't play the short ball and he played a poor shot, and he did. He did play a poor shot. But what you got to what you got to look at is what this kid has got for England. For me, he is a special talent. For me, he is England's future. And for me, the the, the, the Dirt Lords will learn them a lot and in these innings will stand him in good stead of how to play and building an innings under pressure. So I was so pleased, pleased for Harry, fastest, you're right, to 1,000 test match runs and everything that goes with getting your team in a position to get over the line will stand him in good stead because, like I said before, we've got to build teams around Harry Brook because the boy is special and he's got a great talent. And he said afterwards, and he, he was brilliant on interview, he said, I'd rather get caught second slip having a big drive knowing that, I mean, you know, you're trying to hit the ball than get out caught in the crease. And I think the couple of times that he's made mistakes is because of little indecisions, which probably come with pressure. And I think this innings especially, when he takes away and he can reevaluate it, I think from a mental point of view, will stand him in great stead going forward in the rest of his career.
1: Yeah, well said. OK, well, look, we're going to have uh, plenty of reaction over the next hour, looking back at uh, what occurred today and across the Test match and the series. We're going to look ahead to the third, uh, the fourth Test match, uh, which, of course, takes place um, in Manchester in nine days' time. Nine of days, ten time. I've, I've, I've completely lost the plot of where, where I am, what day it is and, and all the rest of it. Uh, I mean, the players need a break and so do all of us uh, following it. But uh, coming up, we're going to speak to Jared Kimber. We're going to hear a little bit more from Pat Cummins about David Warner and whether uh, there's a feeling that uh, he may not play uh, in that old trapper Test. Could it have been the last Test match that we've seen from David Warner? Talk about that uh, and plenty more here on Following on Ash's Inquest. On DAB, online, on the app and on your smart speaker. Following on Ashes Inquest on TalkSport. What a performance. You're listening to Following on Ashes Inquest uh, here on Talk Sport, Looking back at England's three-wicket win over Australia, which has uh, kept the Ashes alive as we head to Old Trafford. Yes, as promised, Jared Kimber's al- alongside me here at Headingley. Steve Palmerston back home in his studio in Ashington. And, uh, yeah, just looking back at, at another terrific day of Test cricket. We've had 14 days and... I would say we've had fourteen days of, of test cricket at its at its best and at its worst and at its most weird. frustrating and weird and exciting. It's it's been it's just been another one. I'm just so happy that we can well, it's still gonna continue for at <laughs> least one more test.
4: The the moment when Pat Cummins and Mitchell Stark almost collided on what should have been. I, I, like sometimes that happens off a difficult catch, right? But that wasn't even difficult. It just needed a single human to stay under it. it. It just showed you just how weird this was. And then I suppose even of all people, John Norman, of all people, Alex Carey running all the way back towards the Headingley faithful to take the catch that might keep, uh, you know, or kick England completely out of the ashes. And as he's running back towards Yorkshire's, you know, uh, fans, Johnny Bairstow fans, he then... Drops a catch that he probably should have just let Scott Boland take quite easily. Um, it's just nonsense all the way through this series. It was it was utterly captivating,
3: and Jared, you talking about the uh, there's always these questions i to captains when things don't go wrong with the, when they lose it's about where do you think it went wrong or you know what do you think the pivotal moment was is this a game where we just go you know what it's been a fantastic game of cricket between good two sides who've had a good go at each other and you know england have won by three wickets so let's congratulate each other and move on because what a fantastic test match it's been
1: I'm not sure that Jared's blog works like that, mate.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm still <laughs> going to have to go through the details. Yeah. No, I think you're right, Harmi. I, I, think, I think that does make sense. Uh, look, I, essentially what we have is... In these conditions, two very evenly matched teams. You have England, who has probably a slightly better strategy and the way that they're playing. And then you have, um, you know, a slightly better Australian team, you know, man for man. But all brought together, there's not that much between this. And I think if you go through all the three test matches so far, Harmer, you could go step by step both teams have made lots of mistakes and they will continue to make lots of mistakes they're very very evenly matched in this particular contest I think it would have been unfortunate if England went down 3-0 not from an Australian point of view obviously all my friends would have been very happy but from it, it, I don't think they have played badly enough to not won a game and to have been out of this series so early on so yeah I think it's I think it's fair I think at a certain point you just have to say this is entertaining and we want it to keep going
1: um, whether it's going to keep going for David Warner is uh, is a it- it's quite interesting. He was just asked, or rather Pat Cummins was asked about his place in the side. Because, of course, Australia got this. We were talking about this, we were talking about this last night. You, and I was saying, I think I was saying to you, or maybe the day before, that Australia cannot drop Mitch Marsh after he scores 100. And he taken a wicket as well. And you said, they always drop Mitch Marsh. <laughs> they can always drop Mitch Marsh. Now, Cameron Green, I think, might well come back into the side of the fourth test. Definitely. Mitch Marsh may not be dropped for the fourth test. And there is a chance that Mitch Marshall opens. Let's just hear what Pat Cummins had to say about David Warner's place within this side.
0: You keep all options open. Um, yeah, we've got, I think, nine, nine or ten days now. So, we'll, yeah, we'll take a deep breath. We'll kind of go away for a few days. But, you know, everyone comes back into it. Greeny should be fit for Manchester. Josh will be back in there as well. So we should have a, yeah, full roster and kind of, yeah, we'll have a look at the wicket and have a chat and work out the best level.
1: Now, there was another question, and the question was, but surely you can't drop Mitch, Mitch Marsh. And uh, Pat Cummins kind of agreed. So where do you think we are? Have we seen the last of David Warner? There is
4: another option. It's that Mitch Marsh and Cameron Green both play, and they fill in as the fifth bowler as a combined. So they come in for Boland. Yeah, so Boland goes out, yeah, and Josh Hazelwood doesn't play. So there is another way I... of doing that. Put it this way. I think David Warner has done his job. I mean, i ask Harmi this, but I'm pretty sure that David Warner has done his job as an opener in this series. He hasn't made the sort of runs that you would want, but I think as an opening batter, he's got them off to a lot of good starts, and he made 60 in the last test. It would be a huge call to do that. And also, Marnus isn't making any runs, so you can't really ask Marnus to open the batting when he's not uh, batting particularly well, Mitch Marsh opening the batting would be hilarious, and I'd love to see it, but I don't see that happening. But I, I don't know. How do you feel about this, Harmy?
3: Yeah, I get what you're saying. It's a bit like the the conversation we're having right at the start of the summer, where how does Johnny Beth besto fit in? Do you fit him in as an opening batter? And you'd probably say no, do you? So, I think yeah, you know, it'd be interesting. It's because we're going to Old Trafford. If we've been coming to Headingley, you'd possibly say they both fit in, because then you potentially don't play Murphy and say. We are we we are going to play you know all seam option, but at Old Trafford you need there's two things you need you need a fast bowler to bowl at one end, tall bowler, quick bowler through the air whatever you want, which I think is Stark Hazelwood, um and Cummins, and you need a spinner you need a spinner for Old Trafford so Murphy has to play, there might be a you know a big call in that in that middle order, I agree I don't think I really don't think um dropping David Warner is an option, 2-1 down. In, they're 2-1 up in, in the Ashes. The only reason there's talk about it, huge talk about it, because obviously broadie has got him again. There is a chance and a possibility that Broad, having played the test matches he has in a row, he might not play in Old Trafford. I'd be amazed if he doesn't. But when it comes like that, is it as simple as going and making a, a ruthless, harsh decision and go, well, Marsh plays and Green doesn't? Yeah, I mean, I, that
4: is something else that could happen. I just think that probably Green's a better bowler, Harmy, And so yeah. I just don't... Think they'd feel that comfortable about Marsh being their only other bowler, unless there's an injury situation from that point of view. But yeah, that, that is the other option. Green hasn't batted brilliantly so far in, in this summer when you look at all the tests combined, but he is the future, um, so it would be an interesting call to leave him out.
1: Let's hear what uh, former Australia captain Mark Taylor had to say. He believes Australia will persist with David Warner for the rest of the series, despite his indifferent form.
5: There's no doubt David's a, a strong-willed man, though, so he'll still believe So I I think the Australian selectors will probably stick with him, Uh, but, boy, we we could do with some runs from him because he's the sort of guy that gets our innings started. And you can see from the second innings here at Headingley, Australia didn't have any impetus Mm. yesterday. Warner goes early, and all of a sudden we're we're, we're working hard to get our our innings going. When Warner starts brightly and gets us off to a, a good, positive start, then Australia generally bat much better.
1: There's uh, Mark Taylor talking about David Warner. Let's talk about a player that will definitely play at Old Trafford, a guy that only played in one Test match in 2019, but has been playing Ashes cricket in this country, I think, since 2013, maybe 2015. It took a five for today. And uh, you wrote a really interesting piece on Mitchell Stark in the build-up to this Test match. So really having a look at his figures. He took out the day-night Test figures, and he didn't really stand up quite as high as many many people would have thought. But certainly today and in this test match, Mitchell Stark has shown what a phenomenal weapon he is.
4: Well, he did something today that I've never seen him uh, do before. And you know how closely I watch Mitchell start. So in the the last Ashes in Australia, he started bowling the wobble ball, right? And he wasn't very good at it. And it meant that he stopped swinging the ball. They actually took the white ball away from him um, in one day cricket, the opening uh, position, because he stopped swinging the ball. So he gave the wobble ball up. It wasn't working, right? Have a look at the three dismissals he got early on today. It was a it was a wobble ball, but as Harmy would probably have noticed as well, it wasn't the normal one. It was the three quarter seam one that Trent Bolt and Mohammed Siraj and T- Tim Southie um, are much more known for. And I was watching it, going, "How do you play him? If he can do this regularly, because he's he's going to swing the new ball, and then later on he's going to bowl these massive cutters." And he was he was basically the person who kept Australia in that game, right? He was absolutely phenomenal, and he didn't even go to the short stuff today. I, I thought he was brilliant. And if he's going to bowl like that, he is, that that for me is what Mitchell Stark always needed. That one extra skill. You can't, you know, he was always very tall, he's always very fast, and he can swing the very new ball. He just needed one other thing to keep all those things together. This this delivery today looks like it could be something quite special. It certainly was when Mo and Ali missed it.
3: Yeah, I agree. And I think when you look at Mitchell Stark from a a technical point of view, I just think he's held his left side. He's, yeah, sorry, his right side a lot stronger and a lot higher, just that splits, you know, that fraction longer at delivery. And that for me helps the wrist position when it comes from a bowling point of view. And I think when you do that, you've got a better chance of swinging it, but you're also, if you're going to go down the wobble balls, uh, seam, ball, you have got a better chance of delivering it when and how you want it. So he wasn't like he was in twenty nineteen where he was bowling from a lot lower because he's he, he's his he sort of front side was collapsing a hell of a lot. He looks a lot higher at release point, a lot taller, which gives him a better wrist position and release point to let go of whatever he's trying to do, which is if he's trying to wobble it, it's you know, it, it does and it's not a problem, but it doesn't affect and hamper the way he tries to to sort of try and swing the ball back. And I thought he was you know he was a real threat in that in that early throws and I thought you know what went best though got out I was expecting three or four three or four Yorkers in you know, England could have been that could have been it all over Ash has gone but obviously England stood up to the to that but one person that has had a real struggle Jared and that's Scott Boland going at two and over for his test career before he come to England England have got his number haven't they
4: yeah, he's bowled a couple of smaller spells where I've thought, oh, this is the bowling that no one can play. But maybe three spells across the couple of tests so far. Coming, Them coming down the wicket to him has really bothered him. He doesn't know how to hit the line and the length he wants. And even occasionally, uh, Harmy, I think... I might. Might have been last night or even today. He was moving the ball so much, you just think, well, he's bound to get a wicket here, but he doesn't keep the pressure on. And I think that has, that's all credit to England. They've kept that on top of him. I think one problem for Australia is that Hazlewood and Boland probably haven't quite looked their best um, so far. And that's a bit of an issue because England are very good at going after the weak link, whoever that might be.
1: Uh, we've had uh, plenty of reaction on uh, social media, as you would expect. And one of the big questions is about uh, Johnny Besto obviously, and also the returning Jimmy Anderson. From uh, a neutral's perspective, um, what would you do going to that fourth test? If we, if we imagine everybody, everybody's fit, what would you do? England, you could say, got away with one here, with the drop catches in the first innings. Do they change things around? Do they give Jim Anderson his final test, maybe, at Old Trafford? Do they keep with a winning team? What do they do with Robinson? I mean, from your perspective, Jared, what should, we've talked about Australia, what should England do?
4: If you're going on form, then I think Tongan would have to play in that next test. But, I mean, Harmi will know a lot more about Wood and, and his arm and everything else. He's got a few days off, of course, in between. But he'd have even more days off if it was the Oval Test. But you may not be able to rest him that far. Tongue bowled really, really well when he's had a chance. It's hard to say that he shouldn't come back in. Um, so, at that point, it gets confusing, doesn't it? I don't even know how you make the best decision. I still think that Jimmy Anderson is fantastic. I don't think he was bowling that poorly at that time. Uh, but perhaps if you can match him, uh, yeah, maybe Broadie does Brody need a rest? I know, is that another option as well? Um, but I, I think that tongue and wood, if I, I have the bowlers who I think have put Australia under the most pressure so far, if they're both fit, I kind of feel they have to play at Old Trafford.
1: Harmi, what do you reckon? Uh, Shane, Shane Carter with Jimmy Shirley returning for the fourth test. Who drops out? For me, it's Robinson. What's, uh, what's your bowling lineup if everybody's fit for Old Trafford?
3: I don't think Robinson's in the game now. I think we've seen the last of Ollie Robinson in, in this Ashes series. Um... It's a tough one. I don't think you can put sentiment into it, even though there's G- Jimmy Anderson end, um, I think you you rock up to Old Trafford. Like I said a bit earlier, you need a fast bowler. If you've got tall bowler grip, you need a spinner for, for the way Old Trafford uh, is as a surface. The only thing I would say on the Jimmy Anderson one, I, I agree with Jared, I don't think he's bowled as badly as what his numbers look like. But I think one, he is England's best bowler. And I think if you sit down and you go through what the surface is and you you come up with a plan to pick your best team to go to win the game and go 2-2, forget about leaving anybody for for the Oval. I think Wood has to play. I think Broad has to play. And I think I'll probably punt for Anderson. I really would punt for Anderson. The only way I got Josh Chung in as much as I really want Josh to play, and I want him to play in this game instead of Ollie Robinson, I think... You, needing to win, I think you go on what who you think will stand up and perform in the biggest stage possible. And the biggest stage possible is 2-1 down in the Ashes. And that for me, I think the way Broadie's handled himself over the course of this series so far, I think he gets the nod just over Josh Tongue because I think I'd always play Jimmy Anderson at Old Trafford.
1: It would be kind of ironic if uh, David Warner's picked and Stuart Broad's dropped, wouldn't it? But, uh, uh, Johnny, you know, if England had lost this game, though, there would have been a full guy. Um, certainly the, the press would have come out for a full guy. And again, unconvincing from Bearstow with the bat today. Uh, Sam Ellard caught up with Mark Taylor, former Australia captain, and just asked him the question about whether he'd keep Bearstow in the test side. Um, he said he would, but England have to play their best wicketkeeper.
5: I think the keeping
1: position is too important.
5: Uh, I would have thought this before the series started I'd certainly have Johnny Bester in my side Because he's been one of your best batters for the last 18 months But yeah, I think you've seen from this series England have missed the opportunities Not just Johnny But if your keeper's not feeling well Generally you seem to drop catches everywhere it, It's almost like a plague Because your keeper sets your benchmark I think back to the sides that i played in. Ian Healy was our benchmark the finest, One of the finest keepers the game has ever seen And when he's keeping well Which generally he is There's your benchmark for everyone else Your keeper's not gloving them well, dropping chances. All of a sudden, you're missing them in the slips. People are then getting too close together in the slips, and it becomes a plague. Um, So keeping is too important a position to be fiddling around with. So if I was an England selector, I'd be saying, who's the best keeper in the country? If it's Ben folks, he's in the team.
1: Well, there you go. Pretty straight down the line. Uh, big thanks to Jerry Kimber. He'll be back uh, part of uh, uh, the show when it returns. Uh, we're going to be doing a, a preview to the fourth test match the day before that fourth test. I'll be up in Manchester for that one. Um, we've had uh, plenty of reaction on social media um, via uh, cricket Unscored TS. Chris Smith saying, I watched it all day when Stokes went. I thought that was it. Uh, you weren't the only one. Uh, Dan Woods, MUFC says, I turned it on when they needed four runs. I was confident at that point. I tell you what, it was crazy. They needed—I think it was 11 runs. That's when I—I I started to believe that England were actually going to do it. Uh, by the way, you know that Ben Stokes missed the last 20 runs. He was too stressed, so too stressed to watch. So he, he must have been sitting in, you know, in the toilet, you know, Brendan McCullum style back in 2015 at the MCG, and he would have heard this huge roar, and that was me when uh, Mark Wood hooked Pat Cummins into the football stand for six. Incredible, incredible moment. There's been a few, and uh, we're going to continue looking back at uh, at the day here at Headingley, uh, here on TalkSport. This is uh, following on Ash's inquest. to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan.
3: A pitch-perfect delivery of superior cricket conversation. This is Following On. Ash's Inquest on Talk Sport.
1: You're listening to Following on Ashes Inquest with myself, John Norman, and uh, the former England fast bowler, former number one bowler in the world, Steve Harmison, double Ashes winner. Let's get back uh, to some of the reaction. Now, one of the uh, surprising day, moments of uh, day four here at Headingley was when, after the fall of uh, the first wicket, Ben Duckett LBW, Mitchell Starks, first to five, uh, it wasn't Harry Brooke who walked out onto the field of play, it was Moeen Alley. And uh, it didn't pay off today, but you could argue that by putting Brooke back to number five, it did pay off. Either way, it happened. Um, let's hear what Ben Stokes had to say. He gave an explanation, which uh, was quite surprising, into how it came about that Moe Ali moved up to number three in the second innings.
0: It was him, actually. It was Mo. He came to Baz last night and said, um, I'd love a goal at three. Uh, I want to take the Aussies on in this run chase. You know, basically let me out there. And um, when we thought about it, we actually thought that him coming at three, he was able to impact the game more than he would be able to do at seven. doesn't always work out, but obviously we thought it was a, it was a real good move for us. Um, and I just love the fact that Mo's willing to put himself in those situations, um, that he wants to get out there and, and help the team in a, in a positive way. So, yeah, I mean, when I took the role on, I asked for 10 other selfless cricketers and that little moment of, Mo going to Baz saying I want the opportunity as you know everything that we're about as a
1: team. I f- I found that uh, pretty interesting, Harvey. Mm. I don't know about you. Did you ever knock on the captain's door at night and say I want to bat at number three? Not when somebody knowing. like
3: my, Not when somebody like Brett Lee was bowling. No, I definitely <laughs> didn't. No, but look, it just shows you what this environment is. And if you remember, go back, you know, probably a long way. You know, Mo and Ali, when he finished playing Test cricket, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, a few years ago. He talked about not enjoying and having to go sort of putting fires out and the role that he had. He had to go to three to five to four because nobody else wanted to do it. And he felt as though that was the, yeah, it was always him that had to be sort of the full guy. Well, if, we, if we've if got a problem position, stick Mo there where it just shows you he come back and he retired from test cricket because of the environment that he was playing in. He come back into this in, uh, this environment at a drop of a hat because he wants to be involved in the way that this team is evolving. And he's put his hand up in responsibility because he probably seen as well. As a senior player, the talent that Harry Brooks got, You know, I'm going to take responsibility and not send the young lad out. Um, and it worked. It definitely worked. Even Because I'd rather see Mowen go in at number three in this situation because I'd much rather see Mowen get caught on the boundary, hooking a ball at number three. And potentially doing it at number seven or number eight when the nerves are jangling and, and things are going. So it it was a gamble that was worth having. gamble that ner- would have been great if it paid off. It didn't, but it did because it got you know, one of our better players in Harry Brook to bat at number five where he felt more comfortable and he's arguably won the
1: game for us. Now, would you do it again? Because Ben Stokes has asked about it uh, being a, a regular occurrence moving forward and it seemed to me that uh, Stokes was more about it working today for the occasion but not long term and if so does that mean that Brooke goes back to three or do you say to Joe sorry Joe just as last two Test matches gonna have to get you back up to three because it's better you playing there than Harry Brooke
3: Ben said I want I've got ten selfless cricketers and I think unfortunately the greatest player we've well, will be the greatest player that we've ever produced is going to have to bat at number three for two test matches. Um, he's our best player. And I think the way the side looks, the balance with Ben's body, I think we have to keep the the, uh, the Moen Alley 7, Chris Wokes 8 role uh, for the last two test matches. I think because that, that works, so the balance of the side from a, a batting and a bowling point of view. So because of that, do you go brook at three again i'd rather see joe go in at number three if you can convince him which i don't think you'll take much convincing um i'm not sure i'd i'd i'd, I'd go mowing in a run chairs if we're batting fourth um but not in the first innings um i think i'd i'd much rather have a conversation with the former captain and say look for these two test matches is there any chance you can go and bat at number three because i there's there's suggestions of ben going at three and i think that would be ludicrous if even contemplate sticking ben soaks at number three because of what he's done in the series we're back at number six
1: mm. let's hear what ben sakes had to say actually uh, because he was asked about the three changes for this game and uh, as you'd imagine he was pretty pleased with uh, how those decisions went yeah it's always good having
0: selection headaches um as a squad and as a team um But look, we obviously went with Woody and and Wokesy this game. And when you make some changes, and and Mo back into the team as well, so when you make changes and and those guys come in and make uh, an impact at different points throughout the game, you obviously um, give yourself a pat on the back and say, well done. But um, look, I think Wokesy being out of the team for such a long period of time to come back in and perform in the way that he did, both with ball and with bat, Um, seeing Woody running in, like he does big smile on his face and enjoying every moment out there was great and um, you know I said before the series started that you know we pick uh, decided to go with Mo back into the squad because of his impact he can have on games and I played a lot of games with him and I know the impact he can have on his best days and you know you look at that little spell yesterday with 15 minutes when he took the wickets of Manus and Steve that that was a huge point in the game Um, you know and that sort of that's like Mo was a cricketer. You know, you, you bring him into a team, and, and you want him to, to be impactful with the ball and bat, and he certainly was with the ball this game.
1: Interesting stuff. Uh, England, of course, have kept their ashes hopes alive with this three wicket win at Headingley. But what did the England fans thinking, or what did the England fans think heading into the fourth test at Old Trafford? Uh, we sent Sam Ellard into the stands to find out. Oh, it was wonderful.
0: I'm not allowed to use any foul language, but it was <laughs> a, a brilliant day. Unbelievable, I, I haven't got very many nails left.
1: It's just exciting to watch, it's it's close, but it's great cricket, it's great to watch, although we, it does keep you on the edge of your seat. The
0: Western Terrace, it's electric, we know the atmosphere
4: we get
1: here in Leeds,
4: are oh, honestly one of the best days out.
0: Who can not love Test cricket at the moment, but the way that we're playing the game is just, it's unbelievable. People are just, we pay good money to come and watch this, and it? it is
1: absolutely unbelievable.
4: Going on the front foot in Old Trafford and will be all to play for at the Oval. Old Trafford in the Oval winning them, it's
1: 3-2 Well it was an absolutely terrific atmosphere here at Headingley but I tell you what Harm, it it wasn't quite as loud, it never quite reached uh, craziness levels that we heard at Edgbaston, it wasn't quite that loud and also, what I found was quite interesting, because I was fortunate enough to be here in 2019 and I remember thinking very early on that the crowd seemed very invested and kind of had the belief that Ben Stokes and England were going to chase down a far greater score uh, four years ago than they had to today. And obviously, England were way, way behind the game uh, in a way that they weren't today. And Australia dominated that match as well uh, in a way that they hadn't really in this game. Um, Today, the crowd at Headingley was a lot more nervy. Um, it got louder as it went on. And certainly during the Wokes and Brook partnership towards the back end of that, then it started to get a little bit of delirium. But uh, you could just feel there was much more nerves here at Headingley than there was four years ago.
3: Yeah, and it, it came through, you know, obviously, on the TV as well. And, and I think that comes down to the wickets. I think because of the, ball, the bowlers that are on show and there was the, the bigger the partnership, the, the sort of more that your team goes in front, the more the crowd get on your side and the more you know, the, the, the sort of joyful, ferocious atmosphere that comes because they think you're going to win. But because of the bowlers that were on show and they kept getting wickets, and like I said before, was it 263 the, the the biggest total in the game, it always sort of, as the crowd are just about to get to the decibel that you're expecting it to get, Bang! There's a wicket, and you know the little pocket of green and gold starts getting sort of leery and starts cheering. So, I think that that was you know all the way through the game. Nobody really got, apart from Mitch Marsh. But even even when Mitch Marsh batted, he didn't bat for a long time. So he didn't give he didn't give the the sort of the sense that you know the game was going away from the opposition. It toed and froed all day, and I think that comes with the emotion. And I think that's why the crowd were were they were as big as a roller coaster as what the game was.
1: Uh, Sam Ellard uh, has been a busy boy over the last uh, few days he caught up with our old mate Mark Butcher actually and uh, um, uh, spoke about many many different things um, but uh, one of the things he spoke about uh, was of course uh, Johnny Besto's position as England wicketkeeper and how they could line up if if and I know you don't think it's gonna happen and to be honest nor do I well I'd love to be proven wrong if Surrey and England's Ben Folks were to come back into the side.
2: I've said all along that I would have kept folks in the side. And that the way that I would have done it would have been that if if, if Brook was the man that had to come in and play, don't forget England's team um, during the course of last summer um, had best at five, not keeping wicket, folks at seven, folks the straight man in the batting lineup if you like at seven and and, and master wicket keeper. But if Brooke had to play then I then I would have put him up as an opener. And, and left everything else as it was. I think w- what has happened is that in making, in bringing Brookie in at five, losing folks, moving Johnny Besto, there, there are lots of changes to something that was working very, very well. Now, there is something. There's another part to all of this, and that is Ben Stokes's body, Ben Stokes's knee. Now, they were very careful not to sort of like talk about that in a in a negative way in the lead up to the series, perhaps because of you know psychological edges and all that kind of stuff. But the more it goes on, the more you can tell that. Basically, that the decision to play Johnny Bersto as an all-rounder was because Ben Stokes cannot play mm-hmm. a full part as an all-rounder. You know, and, and had perhaps they been more honest about that from the very beginning, you know, you, you, there, are, there, are, there are other ways you could have get Ben Fokes in the side, but it would have compromised on England's ability to then put a balanced attack out on the field. So basically, Ben Fokes is, is not in the team because Ben Stokes can't play his part as an all-rounder. And, of course, the chances, as more and more chances go down and, and Johnny gets sort of digs himself more and more into a hole mm-hmm. and um, he, his batting follows the pattern that it has done throughout his career, which is basically that in innings two, three and four of a test match in which Johnny Besto is kept in, in the first innings of a game, he doesn't, his batting performance mm-hmm. falls off a cliff. Um, and so, you know, you've got the double whammy of Johnny spurning chances, but also not being the batter that he was for us at number five last year. And that is, uh, there's an issue there, isn't there? To answer your question, <laughs> I, don't, I don't see how they can change it. I don't see how, the, 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 in order to be able to field five bowlers, in order to be able to cover for the fact that Ben Stokes can't bowl, in order to also to stick to their guns and say, we weren't wrong in the first place, I, don't see them, I honestly don't see them changing it for the next one, whether they should do or not.
1: Mm, Butch nails it more often than not, doesn't he? I think yeah. he's absolutely nailed it there too. Hard to
3: disagree with a great man, it really is. Um... And the, the honesty of, of where Ben is, when it comes to his knee, I think I, I don't think we needed confirmation from the England dressing room that his knee is not in a position to bowl or to bowl many overs.
1: He was asked, actually, oh, sorry to interrupt, he was <laughs> asked about his knee and he said he was non-committal, basically. He said, uh, look, nine days is a long time, we'll have a look. But uh, there certainly wasn't any indication that he would he'd be ready to bowl 10 overs, 10, 15 overs, you know, in the fourth test.
3: No, it's a gamble. It's a gamble not worth taking. It really isn't a gamble worth taking um, to disrupt the side, to, to play one less bowler, to play an extra batter. Unfortunately, Johnny's there to stay. And I, I agree with what Jared said a couple of nights ago. England have England have gone into this and again agree with Butch saying, you know, about Stokes' knee. Johnny's playing as an all rounder because of the amount of overs that we were potentially going to get out of Ben. Um, but I also agree with Jared when Jared says I think England have, have thought this is a great idea to bring Johnny back as a witty keeper without actually watching him witty keep since he's mm. been back from an injury. And I think that coupled together is, is where we're at. And I don't think we might see Ben Fokes in India because you know, he is sort of horses for courses picked um, as a as a gloveman in the subcontinent. But I think if Johnny Bester was to get injured in this in these next ten days and go into Old Trafford just you know for a, a argument's sake, I don't think Ben Stokes Ben walk straight into that. I think I think England would possibly look at something like Jamie Smith or Rolly Robinson. Um, because of the, the the ability to bat, um, because of, obviously, the the all-rounder situation and have to play. So I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Ben Foulkes walks straight back into this team if they change the keeper uh, position.
1: Let's talk about the other Oliver Robinson, because, of course, you weren't re- referring to the bowling Oliver Robinson. I suppose over the next couple of days, we're going to find out a little bit more about the back spasms that meant that essentially he couldn't bowl his overs. Um, but his position within this side is looking a little prec- a little bit precarious, isn't it?
3: Yeah, he's done for me. I think he's done in in um, in the ashes. I, I, again, we talk about Ben and his knee and having to play the extra bowler. Um, I think uh, history repeated repeated itself. It came in the last Ashes, and he wasn't—he wasn't be able to to bowl the overs that he he could do because of his body. Um, we're not—I'm not, not going to speculate on where he is from a fitness point of view. Whether it's just unfortunate that these injuries have, have come because of the volume of bowl they've had to bowl, um, or he hasn't had to bowl because he got injured just before the Ashes series. Um, but for me, he's done. He can't. England can't. Uh, I don't think England can afford to take the risk with Ben's knee and Ollie Robinson with two games left in a in a series we have to win we have to pick the the, the best the best bowlers which Ollie Robinson is one of them but he's got to be fit to be one of them. And unfortunately, if he starts at 78 mile an hour, there's a natural drop off. Mark, I mean, Ben Stokes talks about Mark Wood, bowling 94, 95 mile an hour, and he's dropped off at 91, 90, 91. Unfortunately, Ollie Robinson hasn't got that luxury. He starts started this, this last couple of tests at 78. And if you're starting to drop off at 76 or 75, then for me, as, as great a record as he's got in test cricket, unfortunately, um, I think he needs to get his he needs to get his fitness and his body up before he starts playing Test cricket again.
1: Hey, who would have thought today that uh, within minutes of the end of what is our what fourteenth show, fifteenth, sixteenth show, including previews, that we haven't once spoke about Zach Crawley? Brilliant. Forty four today, thirty odd in the first innings. He hit uh, a forty in at Lords. He hit a forty at Edgbaston. I mean, he's not uh, he's not hitting centuries, but he's not part of the problem at the moment, is he?
3: No he's not part of the problem, and the thing I like about Zach is he's he's gone away and he's worked out and worked hard on the areas that he's he's had a struggle with early in the innings so yesterday last night there was balls he was leaving where in the you know in in weeks and months and you know a couple of years gone by he's been getting out for less than teens going at big shots and yes he got out at a big shot in in this innings but he had 40 on the board and he and I think he looks a lot more balanced I think he looks a lot more um, solid more solid in defense in uh, at the moment in this series and that's a good sign for me that is a really good sign I think he's forging a very very good partnership with Ben Duckett I thought last night they batted well under under pressure um, but so far, I think he's. In, this is the beauty about this for me going forward. Zach Crawley, I think is. I think he's on the cusp of doing something special in this series. I really do think he's got a, a hundred in him in this series, and I also think Mo and Ali, because of what he's just done and how he's just sort of sacrificed himself from a position point of view in the team and took responsibility. Mo and Ali. He does special things, and I've got a funny feeling he's going to do something special in this series. So because of that, yeah, do you know what? I, I'm, still, I'm still still with what Ben Stokes said right at the very start. We can win 3-2, and I think we can.
1: Having a quick look at the batting averages, there's seven players who are averaging more than 30. Now, that's pretty healthy, isn't it? Now, admittedly, one of them is Mark Wood, who's, uh, who would... <laughs> Bite your hand off for an average of 40. Bat him at, the at three. <laughs> him at three. Well, I tell you what, he seems to take the short ball on a little bit better than some of the uh, the players that are batting higher than him. But, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's looking OK, isn't it? They're 2-1 down with two to play. But they do actually have batters that seem to be in form. And I think you're right about Crawley. I think the best is yet to come. I think the best is he's still yet to come from Harry Brook. And I think the best is still yet to come from Joe Root. So, um, you know, it's... And even today, one of the things that kind of I was bearing in mind, and I, I, thought we were, <laughs> I thought we were toast, to be honest. It's 171 for six. But at no stage did we really lose wickets in clumps. And that in itself, you know, said a lot about this England team.
3: And that's a character. And that, for me, is what I want to see. And that's, I well imagine, that Ben and Brendan are asking... You've all got talent. You've all got, you know, the where we want to play. But sometimes under pressure, we have to have character. And today, we've seen England's character. Fantastic.
1: Brilliant. Harmy, thank you. I think we're all going to enjoy a little bit of a break. But uh, you will be back with the Cricket Collective, yourself and uh, Neil Manthorpe. That will be appearing in the following on podcast feed Uh, if you are just uh, joining us here on TalkSport and uh, you want to listen back to the show it will also be available via the following on podcast feed and this week we're going to have a special show for you Shane Warne England's Ashes nemesis uh, looking back at Shane Warne's contribution to the Ashes uh, throughout his career as well so plenty of content that's going to be available uh, via the following on podcast feed but uh, for now that's uh, all we're going to bring you after another heroic uh, day uh, here at Headingley. It's one that will uh, will not be forgotten anytime soon. It's going to sit up there alongside some of the very, very best that we've seen in Ashes' uh, cl- contests here at this famous old ground. Uh, but for now, that's uh, all we're bringing you here on Talk Sport.